Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Maeve Marsden and you're listening to Queer Stories. I am so excited about this. I've been sitting on these stories since December 2019 which was when I hosted the now annual Queer Stories Chosen Family Xmas in Sydney. And in 2019, I lent in to the X in Xmas. X, mass, X, mass. Look, it, it makes more sense written out. It was like a coming together to celebrate the beautiful queer tradition that is X's. Yes, yes, relationships are not the be-all and end-all in queerness. Some of us don't do them or haven't had them, don't believe in them, or think they're a heteronormative hegemonic scourge. However... As a community, we contain multitudes and the multi I wanted to explore was the very queer tendency to end the romantic part of a relationship, but retain the person and the friendship. And so the following episodes are pairs of exes telling the story of their time together or their end or their futures. Strap yourselves in or on for Queer Stories X-Mass. To kick off the first of these exes episodes, we have Laura and Ernest. Laura Mitchell is originally from Perth and now lives in the Macedon Ranges on Woiwurrung country, just outside Melbourne. They're a librarian and a textile artist with the firm and tender hands of a goat herd. They hope that one day their chronic anxiety will let up enough for them to write something beyond really touching Instagram captions. After spending his late teens and early 20s protesting and working at the iconic Gould's Book Arcade in Newtown, Ernest Price taught English and Humanities to high school students in Melbourne for 10 years, inspiring the next generation like a trans Robin Williams. He now works as the Education Officer at the Victorian Association for the Teaching of English, and his writing has been published in Overland. Enjoy. A small note that much of my part of this story takes place in Nam on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. And my part takes place across the lands of the Jajawarung and Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. None of this land was ever ceded and the struggle for justice continues today. Hey, internet friends. I'm aware that this is a very crass way to do this, but it saves me having to communicate the same painful thing repeatedly, which is one of my least favourite things about these situations. Ernest and I have split up. Obviously, we are both terribly sad, but it is completely amicable. You don't have to choose sides or tell me you always thought he was a dickhead. (laughs) We both feel that the relationship has run its course and we're each ready to move on to the next phase in our lives. I'm staying in Trentham with the pets. Ernest is moving back to Melbourne. I guess that's it. At the start of 2018, Laura announced to the world that we'd split up in a very generous Facebook status update. Things between us were as good as they could be at the end of a seven or eight year long relationship. We'd always been good to each other. We'd shared growth. We'd shared debt. And we'd shared more or less compatible mental health issues. We'd hosted an excellent commitment ceremony, which we called the tethering, because that's far more radical, um, in the back of a dodgy pub. It was a really beautiful gathering of our friends and our family featuring our dearest friend as a ukulele-playing pseudo-celebrant. 
The day culminated in us performing an unforgettable rendition of Islands in the Stream, <laughs> much to the bewilderment of our friends and the delight of my niece. Afterwards, my mum expressed feeling protective of us because people laughed while we sang. And Ernest and I were forced to contemplate the horrible possibility of no one laughing when we sang. Over the course of our relationship, we built a family together. We had two rescue dogs, we had two rescue cats, although don't get too attached to those characters just yet. Um, we relocated our family of six to a small country town. We'd been through a lot of really wonderful things, but we also knew it was time to part. So without too much drama, we slowly disentangled our lives. We negotiated what we thought was going to be a good path to friendship, but we're going to reserve details of that for the book pitch we're hoping to make to Gwyneth Paltrow. <laughs> when we split, I was working in the bar of the local pub in our little town. I picked up as many shifts as I could, grateful for the ability to make rent, the distraction, and the opportunity to drink free beer with my workmates and compare heartbreaks. And honestly, their heterosexual issues made me grateful for the relative ease of my relationship end. After one such shift, I worked ho walked home on aching hospitality feet to find the dogs in a state of extreme agitation and the door ajar to the area of the house that belonged to the cats. I slipped in to visit the cats to find each lying on their side in a corner of the room. When I think of it now, it seems unearthly. They were perfectly peaceful and their furry white bellies were soft and luminous against the white walls and floor. There was only the smallest smear of blood on the wall, but it was clear what had happened. The dogs had killed the cats. Ernest and I were prone to that delightful or obnoxious queer trait of conceiving of our pets as children, and now two of our kids had killed the other two. <laughs> I didn't harbour resentment towards the dogs for a moment. A couple of years in the country had deepened my understanding of the animal instinct. I'm not quite Werner Herzog. I believe animals are capable of love and compassion, but I knew that they'd just been playing and things had got out of hand like a small furry version of a teen thriller. <laughs> of course, it was my fault. Like every rental property in the known universe, the doors in the house didn't close properly and I hadn't adequately ensured that the door separating the animals had clicked shut that morning. I left the room and closed the door and quite literally collapsed into body-racking wails and sobs as someone who'd spent years honing dissociation as my primary coping mechanism Watching myself emote so freely was very fucking weird. <laughs> I tried to call Ernest once, twice, three times to no avail. I went back to the murder scene and determined that actually Lenny, the big dumb moon-faced boy cat, was still breathing lightly. I popped both of their limp bodies into cardboard boxes and commenced probably the most categorically unsafe drive I will ever take to the vet in the next town over. Lenny died en route and I left the cats there to be cremated. I drove equally unsafely home and continued trying to contact Ernest, sending increasingly desperate text messages explaining what had happened. 
Naturally, I assumed that he had seen these texts and was so angry with me that he could not speak. For the record, this would be completely uncharacteristic of Ernest. I put myself to bed at 6.30pm with a large tumbler of whiskey. And then the next day, my workmate and neighbour would comment that I was white as a sheet and for fuck's sake, Laura, why hadn't I come next door for help? But at 6.30pm, a little green dot indicated that Ernest was online on Facebook Messenger, so I made one more attempt at communication. So after we separated, I moved to a small flat in inner city Melbourne. I decorated it in the minimalist serial killer aesthetic that Laura had resisted the entire time that we lived together. By May 2018, I was ready to celebrate my 34th birthday with a few friends in my flat in what felt like a really important step to becoming independent. The day after my birthday, I was in some really significant self-inflicted pain. I spent the entire day at work fantasizing about returning home to tracksuit pants, to a flannel, and to a home-delivered burger, one of the great joys of moving back to the city. Before settling in on the couch, I went to the communal laundry uh, to check on the progress of my washing. Returning to my front door, I realised I'd locked myself out without my phone and without my wallet. Cue a long, frustrating and mildly humiliating journey across the city in my tracksuit plants and flannel and a pair of thongs as I attempted to regain access to my flat. I ended up at a friend's house unsupervised, trying to pass the time. Seeking some sympathy for my plight, I logged onto their computer. As I attempted to marshal my thoughts into something both witty and endearing, a message from Laura appeared in the bottom right hand of the screen. They asked why I hadn't returned their calls and if I was mad with them. Now, having spent about 20 years in the queer community, the first thought that flashed through my mind was that they'd slept with the person I was dating at the time. <clears throat> I contemplated the oddity of this prospect on just so many levels when a second message, written in all capital letters, popped up. It contained a five-word truth. The dogs killed the cats. I immediately envisaged a Dexter-like murder scene with Laura standing just out of frame, traumatised. I felt incredibly guilty that I hadn't been there to support them while they had to go through that. So we began to debrief over Facebook Messenger. This uh, sudden tragedy provided an avenue for us to relax into the new roles that we played in each other's lives. Ernest came to visit fairly regularly to be active in the lives of our delinquent children who clearly needed the strong hand of a father. <laughs> we would drink together and speak fondly about dead Lenny, as we affectionately called him. It's okay to laugh at that. Um, <laughs> so time marched on and more tragedies occurred. One of my students um, was killed suddenly and tragically um, by a truck. My grandmother, who played a really big role in raising me, uh, passed away, not so suddenly, but very Between the breakup, child murders, and assorted other deaths, we each went into 2019 just hoping for a new year quieter than the last. So skip forward to the 21st of January, and I was lying on the couch watching basketball uh, when my phone rang. 
Now, in 2019, someone actually calling you on the phone means one of two things. It means either debt or death. Both were a possibility. Um, the missed call was from Paul. I was really confused because I always attach a last name to my contacts. I file things really meticulously. So it was either my sister's partner, Paul, which meant that my sister or one of my nephews was in danger, or it was Laura's stepfather, Paul, which meant that Laura was in danger. So I returned the call and I reached Laura's stepfather, Paul. Now, Paul's literally the nicest and most affable man in the world. His response when I asked him how he was, not so good, actually. He proceeded to tell me that Laura's mother, Maggie, had died suddenly and tragically in a motorcycle accident. After spending a day witnessing and tending to the accident scene, he'd finally regained mobile reception. Knowing that his stepchild was living alone in a small country town, he wanted me to go and be with them while he told them what had happened. I left the house within about three minutes, throwing some clothes into a bag and hightailed it down the freeway to Laura's house. Paul and I hadn't really made a plan about how the evening was going to unfold. All I knew was that he'd lost his entire world, Laura was about to have their heart broken, and I somehow had to figure out how to be useful to them both. I also didn't have enough money in my bank account to buy a bottle of whiskey on the way. <laughs> about an hour later, I pulled into their driveway and I called Paul. He in turn dialed Laura and I attempted to creep down the driveway without notifying the dogs or scaring Laura. I'm pretty sure that I saw the moment that their heart broke. So on the 21st of January, I was just emerging from a patch of the kind of shitty mental health where mess proliferates in your living space. I cleaned the fuck out of the whole place that day and I was sitting down to watch Brooklyn Nine-Nine, feeling keen for the safety of the finite sitcom universe in which cops are good guys. <laughs> the dogs appreciated the turn in my mental health too. I could hear one of them happily masturbating in the other room. <laughs> I sent Ernest a text about that. I didn't hear back, which was annoying because I hate it when I'm funny and it goes unacknowledged. <laughs> My stepdad rang, which was a bit odd, but I assumed it was my mum trying to get in touch with me, so obviously I ignored the call. Then he rang again straight away, which didn't seem good. So I answered, and he told me about my mum's tragic and sudden death, and that Ernest was at my door, and to call him back in a few minutes when, I don't know, when, whatever. I noticed that there was a person at my front door and it was Ernest. And actually the dogs were going off at him and had been the whole time and I let him in. The next bit is all pretty fuzzy but I think he led me to the red couch that had been our red couch and I said fuck many, many times in a row. Ernest slept on the red couch that night and for the next couple of nights. That first night, I remember waking at a deep, dark hour and mum's death rushing into my core like an actual void at the very middle of me. And I sobbed, and I think Ernest came into my room and didn't hold me, just sat near me on the bed, eventually asking where he could find some tissues for me. So I lied earlier. 
we're actually going to let you in on the book pitch that we're going to deliver to Gwyneth. Now, our working title for the book is Tragic and Sudden, Rebuilding Through Grief. The book centres around a simple three-step plan, like all good self-help books, about going from slightly estranged exes to smug, queer, chosen family. So step one is identify a tragedy or tragedies that you can bond over. Now, we had it served to us on a silver platter, but... (laughs) But we live under late capitalism. There are a million horrors to choose from at any given time. Take your pick. Step two, consume. Arriving in Sydney today, it's abundantly clear that multinational corporations continue to send us hurtling towards a certain death. Uh, So you deserve to spend some evenings gorging on Uber Eats and watching crime documentaries. You can really tell in this bit that we lived in the country with no Uber Eats. Um, (laughs) There's a comfort to be found in your shared silence. And finally, step three. Rely on your shared language and continue to develop it. Ours has been talking about feelings, gallows humour and animal videos. In a system that's pretty remorseless in its attempts to grind you down and alienate you from the people around you, the opportunity to take one kind of human connection and transform it into another To keep someone in your life who understands you deeply and will support you always is a bloody gift. Look after it. So as we were preparing for this event, the principal of the school I work at, my mentor and just an incredible guy, died. It was very tragic and it was sudden. I've spent the last month tending to the grief of 213 and 14-year-olds their families, and about 20 staff. And I've spent the last month sourcing and sending the internet's best animal videos to Ernest. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe to the podcast, rate and review it, and follow Queer Stories on Facebook for updates. Follow me, Maeve Marsden, on Twitter and Instagram, and please consider ordering a copy of the Queer Stories book a collection of the tales that I edited with beautiful stories by incredible writers such as Nayuka Gori, Benjamin Law, Candy Bowers, Candy Royale, Simon Hunt, Liz Duck Chong, and Rebecca Shaw. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.